0: Hello, everybody. Good morning and welcome to our session called Take a Deep Breath on Indoor Air Quality. Now, I'm giving a warm welcome to those of you here who are joining us in the room, and I know there's a broader audience that's watching us online. For those of you who made it here this morning, just so you know that day three of a conference is always a hard one, and your nine o'clock start is a sharp, hard start. So congratulations on making it this far. Those of you in your home or your offices, I assume it was less of a challenge. You haven't been through the same marathon. But um, my name is Tamsin Rose, and I'm delighted to be your moderator for this session. Like all of the sessions through this Gash Time Forum, we have an amazing panel, but they're only going to do half the work. We expect you, the audience, to join this conversation and take it forward. So we will offer you opportunities to engage with us through Slido. And as usual, you go to slido.com. And there's a hashtag, Luna, that we're going to use for today, L-U-N-A. So, what's this morning all about? Well, actually, if you just take a look around you, wherever you are watching this from, you are highly likely to be in an indoor space. And so we're going to be talking about the things that you do not see when you look around you. We're going to be talking about the quality of the air that you're breathing. And there is no... Easy way for you to just by smelling the air or sniffing it to know how clean it is, what quality it is. So it's something that is invisible to people but terribly important to their health. Outdoor air quality is regulated. Uh, we have the ambient air quality directory, So we can understand that. We can see when there's pollution happening. We can see the, sti- the, the smoke, smoke coming out the back of cars. We understand that. But we don't really have a clear idea of what are the sources of indoor air quality problems and what we can do about that. So this is something we're going to talk about in this panel. In our modern industrial Lifestyles. about 90% of our time is spent indoors, whether it's public spaces, private spaces or professional spaces. So this is a lot of our time is spent. So it really behoves us to make sure that the quality of that air is good. If we don't, here are some of the health problems that could come from that. Obviously, you could get respiratory diseases, heart diseases and cancer. You also have slightly milder effects like headaches, Irritation of the eyes, the nose, the throat, dizziness, fatigue. It's difficult to concentrate and to focus, which for kids means it's harder to learn. You know, in, in an office, it's harder to focus and get be productive. So there's a huge impact uh, from the very mild to the much more serious. Some population groups are more exposed than others. Those who, have, who are in lower socioeconomic groups are more likely to live in smaller, poorly ventilated houses. They're more likely to use polluting sources of heating and cooking, which means they're more at risk of breathing in higher concentrations of pollutants. So there is a huge equity angle to this conversation. The reason we're having this conversation now is there's a momentum that's been built up. And that's for three reasons. I just want to touch on them lightly for you. The first one is, of course, that climate and health is really on the political agenda. um, And we are looking at reimagining the built environment because you know, our, our built spaces are responsible for between 20 and 40% of our carbon emissions. So attempts to get to net zero are clearly going to be looking at our built spaces. So it's an opportunity to, to look at indoor air quality as well as energy issues. At EU level, we've got very big plans around the zero pollution ambition. We've also got the European Green Deal and the new European Bauhaus initiative, which is about reimagining the spaces uh, around us. So these are reasons that there's some momentum behind it. We want to make sure that in all this new focus, air quality is not left out as an issue. Second area is, of course, the last two and a half years we've been going through the pandemic. And suddenly there's a focus on ventilation because COVID took a while for us to understand, but we now know it is an airborne disease. So suddenly people are having CO2 monitors and thinking about how they measure the quality of their air. I have a CO2 monitor at home, and my kids watch it, and they know at what point it is. And interestingly enough, we've figured out that when I cook on my gas hob, it goes from where it should be, you know, at around the 500 uh, mark to up to 1,000. And the kids are the ones who say, Mum, open the window. So the level of public information and awareness is there. So we should capitalize on it. People are sensitized in a way they haven't been for a long time. And thirdly, of course, we're entering the start of the autumn and leading to the winter. And the cost of energy is skyrocketing. So what that means is people are less likely to ventilate their homes. They want to keep whatever warmth they've got in their building. So our advice from a public health perspective, which all throughout COVID, which is every hour you need to open a window and air for at least five to ten minutes. You're not going to want to do that if you've paid a lot of money to keep your space. So, it's a counterintuitive moment, and we need to make sure that we're linking in air quality in those conversations. So, those are the three reasons why now we want to talk to you about indoor air quality. And in this session, we want to see how we can move the idea of looking from indoor air quality towards a policy path of cleaner air make this very clear and explicit. We want to give you, um, and we have an amazing panel that I'll introduce in a minute, some experiences from the people who are affected by indoor air pollution. We'll hear about the current policy frameworks that need to be improved or tightened on or implemented effectively. We'll hear from additional asks from civil society, and we'll hear from the building sector to see what's their role, what's their contribution to this conversation. So before I introduce the panel and go further, we have, like we have throughout the conference, We have some homework for you. I have a poll. I want to find out from you what factors do you think have the most significant impact on indoor air quality? And we'll create a word cloud from the the words that you put in, but we want to understand, in your view, what is it? Now, maybe I've already given you a hint that cooking on gas is probably going to be part of it, but for you, what is it? What are the factors that you think have the most significant impact on indoor air quality? And we'll use your input to create a word cloud, and our panellists will respond to that. We'll see. We're going to then see whether it corresponds to either the scientific reality, the perception, the way that it's addressed uh, by regulation. So I can see that we've already got something coming through. Smoking is right at the heart of it. And I think justifiably, given if you, if you have any smoke in any area, it pollutes very fast. But look, cleaning products, wood burning, uh, cooking solutions, damp um, Outdoor air quality and construction materials, yes, people breathing, yes, that would affect indoor air quality, Um, but ventilation is also coming up there, and I know that our panel, and I'm sure this is going to come from Nadia from the building sector, who will be picking up on this issue of ventilation and mould, construction materials, chemicals, air conditioning, stoves, so lots of different sources here, that's coming out from our audience. So I'm going to now pass on to our panel to respond on that. We, we've already identified many different ways that this, uh, you know, transport in cities also has an impact. Pets, radon, so lots of different things that are coming forward. So let me introduce our, our panel. I have who, people who are going to help us to understand what this is and how this is going to go forward. I have Professor Stefan Loft from the Department of Public Health of the University of Copenhagen. I have Stefan Moser, the head of unit from DG Ener, that's DG Energy, in the European Commission. I have Dr. Nadia Boshi, who's the ambassador of the World Green Business Council, Council's Building Life Policy Campaign, and a trustee of the International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate. So you're really, you're the guru we're going to be asking questions of. <laughs> Susanna Palkanen, next to me, is the director for the European Federation of Allergy and Airways Diseases Patients Association. She'll be giving the perspective of patients, what it's like to experience this. And joining me, I also have Michael Scholland, who's a senior advisor from CLASP, who's going to give us, again, some of the technical details about how we make these shifts and these transitions. But first of all, let me uh, pass the floor straight away to the first person, and that's Professor Stephen Loft, from the University of Copenhagen. Tell us a little bit about the evidence base that we have that we need to explore and welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, being uh, here to discuss what we should worry about in indoor air with you. So, Tamsin already said that we are 90% indoors and we should also think that we breathe 14 kilos of air every 24 hours. So, so, so if the air is polluted, we get a lot inside. And sort of the sources of that indoor air pollution is sort of graphically uh, presented here. If we start in the left-hand corner, the ambient air is actually the most important determinant of the quality of the indoor air. Uh, in general, uh, PM2.5, NO2, and VOCs coming from traffic industry and so on. Going with uh, up to fifty percent efficiency into our dwellings, where we have multiple uh, combustion-based sources, like we already heard, uh, gas stoves, and more will come on this. Solid f- uh, fuel uh, heating appliances with wood or peat or coal, kerosene heaters, and so on, which will be much more prominent this winter, unfortunately. And also smoking, already mentioned, and in the northern countries, candles are very popular. Uh, we have textile, insulation and so on, giving off microplastics and fibers with known and unknown uh, health impacts. We have multiple uh, sources of volatile organic compounds coming from uh, building materials, from sealers or paints or from furniture uh, like formaldehyde and polybrominated uh, and flame retardant and and from the paints and so on, PCBs. Already, uh, moisture and dampness have been mentioned here. We emit about 10 liters of water, or release uh, 10 liters of water, each of us, uh, which gives uh, uh, humidity and dampness in the dwelling or in the houses with uh, uh, with house dust mites and mold to thrive on, releasing bioaerosols allergens, and toxins with respect to the molds. We have the pets, and of course uh, ourselves. We release VOCs, uh, bioeffluents that you can smell when you enter a room where many people have been for a while. And, of course, CO2 uh, that can give some discomfort. And, uh, like Tamsin mentioned, uh, can be used to monitor the efficiency of our ventilation. And I've already mentioned the infectious aerosols, not the least uh, coronavirus. Uh, and uh, a very important issue is that there is a link uh, between the Uh, severity and risk of uh, COVID uh, related to the ambient air pollution level at where people live. So there's sort of an interplay here we should also address and of course not forget radon coming up from the soil. And what does that give in terms of impact? Well, there's an impact assessment from the European Union which is dating back to 2016 where it was estimated that two million disease adjusted life years were lost annually from cardiovascular disease, lung cancer, asthma, respiratory tract infections, uh, chronic obstructive lung disease, and acute intoxication. And the culprits actually in rank order uh, for that assessment was that it was PM 2.5 from outdoor air was the biggest uh, player here, followed by uh, PM 2.5 from burning anything indoors, uh, radon, then, then dampness, secondhand smoke, bioaerosols. BOCs and carbon monoxide. But that assessment did not count many very important outcomes such as diabetes, pregnancy, mental health, and so on or for that matter, the milder symptoms, the discomfort, the lack of performance, the poor uh, education the students or the children will get because of uh, poor indoor air quality and not the aerosol-borne infections. And <clears throat> we also know much more about the uh, exposure response function, how much and what diseases each source give. And for instance, we know now that PM2.5 effects are at least 30% higher than estimated at that time. So a lot of impact and what can we do about it? So to my mind, the most important thing, if it's true that it's the outdoor air quality, uh, that's the worst, we should adapt that uh, for the new uh, European uh, air quality directive, we should adapt the uh, WHO air quality guideline for that as fast as possible. And of course, that also covers indoor air, but I mean, the regulation is for the outdoor air. And of course we should work further with building codes that facilitate clean indoor air and the Bauhaus initiative and so on can consu- contribute. And we should have a stronger le- legislation on emissions from indoor use products and appliances like gas doors and whatnot. And we should also work more on, on how to advise and how to set rules for indoor behavior uh, related to sources and ventilation. And I think we need a new health impact assessment that really thoroughly address how much impact indoor air quality have, not only on sort of hard endpoints, but also on on the uh, milder symptoms and comfort and and performance. And there is a room also, I think there's a need to do research on whether portable air cleaners can help us through until everything is solved, because we can filter out uh, PM2.5 ultrafine particles and airborne viruses with these uh, particularly if they are equipped with the HEPA filters, they can be used in risk groups and situations, but their actual efficacy have not been demonstrated very thoroughly yet. So that's an area for, for research which can, should be done uh, perhaps this winter even. So with that said, I thank you very much for your attention and look forward to the other presentation and the further discussion.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. It was really useful that you ranked for us the sources of different uh, indoor air pollution where they come from and that gives us a a priority list perhaps for responses you you highlighted some of the health effects of poor indoor air quality and now We're going to hear from Susanna who's going to share the experience What is that actually like to live with a high sensitivity through allergies or an airways disease the reality of of, you know, if you've got an indoor air environment that is polluted and not healthy, what's that experience like? Yes,
2: Microphone. Thank you very much, uh, Tamsin. That's actually a question uh, which uh, me and my organization have been waiting for 20 years. So (laughs) brilliant, thank you very much. I want to start by... uh, (laughs) talking about um, the words of uh, the lady that you see on the screen. The lady is uh, Marie-Louise Luther, and uh, she's working since uh, more than 20 years at our member association in Sweden. And she has been responsible of uh, um, answering questions of patients and uh, families with uh, children with uh, asthma and allergies um, in the association related to indoor quality issues. Uh, She reports that uh, parents parents who have children with um, asthma or allergy, they are often contacting uh, the association uh, about indoor air quality problems uh, at school. And they are reporting that their their kids um, are having worse reactions and uh, bad reactions, uh, more than the other children at school. So there are uh, several um, causes for uh, problems in the school environment. It can be li- linked to damp or mold, and Stefan was uh, already uh, mentioning those as uh, as big uh, big problems. Um, but they can be, there can be other things uh, too related to poor uh, indoor quality at school, and she's also um, contacted often um, by. Uh, patients uh, who are worried about indoor air uh, pollution in their homes and experience bad indoor air quality. But they don't know what to do about it, uh, so they are asking her, and uh, especially when the building owner is not investigating anything or doing anything about it. So in that situation, you are pretty helpless, because what are you as a (laughs) common person going to going to investigate in your home unless you really see um, mold in the, in the bathroom for example. So that's uh, those are wise words from uh, Marie-Louise and uh, in fact uh, what is happening in some of our member associations is that they have established a specific indoor air quality helpline um, in their country because there are so many questions and there is no help uh, available. Um, so why, why are we, as uh, IFA, working on uh, on indoor equality? quality? Uh, we have been doing that since the beginning of the association, since uh, 1996. And actually, the, we had uh, two projects in the former um, pollution-related diseases program that was presiding the EU for Health program back in uh, Back in the uh, 19s, there were two projects. One was on uh, indoor air pollution in school and one was in, in, on indoor air quality in, uh, in dwellings. And uh, today, we don't think that uh, patients should be leading uh, the fight uh, for, for clean air. We need uh, everybody involved. We saw from uh, Stefan that it looks very, very complex, uh, the situation at, um, on indoor air quality. And that is not an excuse to do anything about it, because, in fact, uh, there is one air. um, We are uh, in the policy level. uh, We talk about the outdoor air. We talk about the indoor air. But there is one air uh, that we are breathing. And breathing is something which is, uh, without breathing, there is no life. When a baby is born, what are they doing first? <laughs> they open their um, airways and they breathe. And uh, then comes, uh, comes the cry. And nobody um, in their right mind would uh, <laughs> would imagine to start blowing some uh, smoke into the lungs of this baby. You want to protect the baby. But the reality is that uh, throughout our lives, uh, we are breathing things uh, that we don't don't know about. Um, I would like to mention some uh, other figures, uh, too, that Stefan, uh, Stefan didn't uh, mention uh, yet. Uh, in fact, uh, poor indoor air quality is responsible of uh, of uh, non communicable diseases uh, globally. And that is striking uh, for for us and uh, and for the whole of the population. And uh, in fact, uh, 10 to 15% of uh, new cases of uh, childhood asthma in Europe can be attributed to indoor air exposure, indoor air pollution exposure. 3% 3% of uh, COPD deaths um, in Europe are due to indoor air pollution. And I can uh, go on with the list, but I guess um, we will talk about this uh, more during, uh, during the panel. But my point is that the people that we are representing, they are the first ones always uh, to react when there is a problem in, uh, in uh, um, indoor air quality. And it is not only uh, some kind of uh, irritation. They actually can have uh, exacerbations of uh, asthma or COPD. And um, poor indoor quality can also lead to hospitalizations and death due to respiratory disease. Uh, So we need to uh, change the situation. And there are a lot of legislations at the European level and uh, initiatives that can really really help us to, to solve uh, this issue. But uh, the warning is that there might be a missed opportunity if we, uh, if we fail to do that um, within, for example, the energy performance of uh, buildings. We have a lot of asks, and that will come later. I look forward to uh, hearing from the other panel participants and the audience.
0: Thank you very much uh, Susanna and again, you know highlighting for us that the, the it, taking a breath is the beginning of life and when we we've been talking a lot over the last few days about the importance and value of prevention but other than quitting smoking and not being around smoke, there are relatively few lifestyle changes that people can make to breathe air. It's structural issues that need legislative frameworks. So we're going to pick up on that now by inviting uh, Stephen Moser, the head of unit from DG Enner in the European Commission, and he's going to tell us what's ongoing at the moment in terms of policy processes and what we can look forward to, particularly in the area of the things that are around us in the home that might be affecting air quality. So, welcome. Please go ahead. The floor is yours.
3: Good morning, uh, Tamsin. I'm very happy to be with you and, and look very much forward to the to the exchange but from the uh, from the European side. Um, I think we have to see that as a as a shared responsibility between the EU and member states. A lot of emphasis is on the member states here in relation to indoor air quality. As you know, there is legislation on. Outdoor air quality at European level. This is uh, a very, I would say, complex and uh, an important, uh, but also well-developed, well-developed area over over the time. Um, and um, uh, I think uh, when it comes to indoor air quality, we don't really have um, um, a, a comprehensive policy uh, at European level. For I would say, for the very reason which I mentioned, it's a it's a kind of joint responsibility. Uh, that uh, Member States, uh, basically for subsidiarity reasons, take the lead on it. Um, But I think we have several supportive actions at the European level. Um, And uh, some of them, and and most of them, relate actually to what uh, Stefan already has mentioned. Uh, So, um, product regulation, uh, I would say, most importantly. um, the, uh, the, the, The construction product regulation eco design um, um, but also eco label and then green public procurement um, and uh, and then uh, european standards Um, that's that's very important Um, and um, then of course we have also a reference now in the renovation wave um, um, the renovation was a policy strategy so it brings together of course also member state action with european action and then uh, most specifically in the uh, energy performance of buildings directed. Um, the energy performance of buildings Directive basically tries to create synergies with other important policy areas uh, and mentions specifically indoor air quality. Um, in relation to ventilation, uh, ventilation is uh, the one area uh, which brings together uh, energy performance and indoor air quality through the same tools, through the same uh, instruments. And it would be, from our point of view, a huge lost opportunity if um, one didn't go for, for an integrated measurement of uh, the performance of the building in relation to energy, uh, climate um, uh, and indoor air quality. Uh, this actually um, would create co-benefits. Uh, it doesn't cost that much more to have an integrated instrument and um, there will have to be um, basically the the recovery of heat anyway inside the building so opening the window is a thing of the past Um, uh, it's a huge waste of energy it's one way of course to improve indoor air quality but there are other ways through ventilation systems which which need to be of course energy efficient but at the same time then ensure uh, good indoor air quality the question now is to what extent are actually member states even prepared to accept such a kind of I would say obligation to monitor um, indoor air quality as part of the EPBD, uh, whether they accept it for all buildings or not uh, or just non-residential buildings I think our proposal has been really to cover all buildings in particular also the non uh, sorry the the residential buildings because that's where people live but there is a push back Uh, so I mean you see this is exactly where where we stand so member states um, are often uh, hesitant and 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 refuse to have obligations at European level if they think they can take it forward themselves, and they do. So we do have to recognise they in many ways they do that, but it's it's certainly an area for development. It doesn't happen everywhere. There are a number of member states which have uh, taken um, comprehensive action: uh, France, Portugal, Finland, Austria, Belgium, Germany, Netherlands, Lithuania, just to start uh, to mention a few. Uh, Denmark certainly as well. Um, uh, to to have adopted a series of of uh, actions on uh, indoor air quality for instance uh, defining concentration values uh, on selected pollutants then drawing up national plans on indoor air quality um, having specific legislation already in place for indoor environments um, and uh, setting up basically the the precise requirements for monitoring and training information programs uh, to uh, to the, the technical Um, um, staff basically managing those systems but also to uh, to people in general to raise awareness and then uh, basically make sure that uh, people can understand Um, but it's not happening happening everywhere so the question is indeed would this be an area in the future for the eu to uh, to take more uniform action i think politically at least this will be very difficult because there's the argument of subsidiarity you know so and even if some member states don't do it, they would argue they're best placed to actually take the responsibility to do that. Uh, there's not necessarily a cross-border effect. So member states are in, in, in charge to a large degree on, on health um, and, and, uh, and even safety in many ways. Uh, but I think where we at the EU level make a real added value is in relation to all things which cross border, so products, um, product-specific legislation that needs to be at the EU, EU level and, uh, and that actually will then help also very much um, to reduce uh, the pollution coming from products, building construction products, but also the appliances in the in the buildings which are used in the buildings. And as Stefan has said, I mean, the, many of those are the source of uh, pollution indoors, and uh, of course also standards on. Uh, um, local space heaters, uh, which are basically uh, stoves um, inside the building from which uh, PM, uh, particular matter, can escape. So that is also very much an uh, important area to, to regulate. Uh, so that's basically where, where we are. So I mean, I, I personally uh, highly would like to underline the importance of, of, the, um, of, the, um, of the topic. Uh, so I think there's a full recognition from the EU side that this is a very important policy area. But uh, if we say that, uh, it doesn't mean automatically that the EU is the one to regulate everything, uh, that we will say the EU will solve it. Um, This is the relatively, um, I would say, complex uh, environment of the interplay between uh, the EU level and the member state level, and sometimes even the local and regional level in the member states, who does what and and who takes care of what. And I think um, we, uh, while recognizing the importance of of the subject, Uh, we will have to see actually who is best placed to do that. And I think uh, concretely we see this kind of debate taking place even on the energy performance of buildings directive, where some member states don't want to accept even um, uh, an obligation to monitor um, uh, indoor air quality as part of the EPD, at least not for residential buildings. Um, I think that's regrettable. Uh, We are fighting for it. And I think we will have also with the Mm -hmm. European Parliament uh, a strong ally to push for it but that's actually where we think uh, it would be a re- really lost opportunity um, to um, not to make the link between energy performance of the building recovery of heat ventilation systems and at the same time monitoring of, of indoor air quality and then of course take uh, adequate pro- uh, precautions uh, through the ventilation of the system so that basically the indoor air quality is actually also improved. And otherwise, I mentioned the different uh, regulatory instruments which are in place and uh, on which we are working. So uh, that I think uh, that's what I can say at this stage. So thank you very much for your attention.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, and I know we'll come back to you. I've already seen that we've started to get some questions in from the Q&A, and I'll just introduce, I have a colleague here in in the corner, Josephine, who's in our newsroom, and she'll be bringing in your questions in a little bit when we've heard from other panellists. So keep your questions and ideas coming in. We'll take them for the panel. So thank you for setting out, you know, the, the, and you you ended on on the issue of product regulation and that gives me a very nice bridge to turn to our next speaker, because uh, Michael Scholland, you're the senior advisor from CLASP. We've heard about some of these higher-level policies uh, from the Commission, the regulations that they're working on to promote better products, to improve indoor air quality. So can we now focus in on one specific application? And that's to a, a major source of indoor air pollution that's found in literally millions of homes, including mine, across Europe. Can you tell us about your work on gas cooking appliances?
4: Thank you, thank you, Tasman, and thank you to IFA for uh, having me today in the panel. It's a it's a pleasure to be with you all. Um, yeah, in fact, I think Tasman, after you uh, see the research that we're working, you're going to be switching that gas stove in your kitchen to induction. Um, <laughs> it's really frightening um, what's happening in homes across the EU. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so as Tasman says, we, we've heard today about the health science relating to indoor air quality and the overarching policy measures. Stefan gave an excellent summary just now of many of the measures that are EU-wide uh, taking place. And I'm going to bring it down now to a very specific application, domestic cooking appliances. And I want to use this product as a case study to illustrate how we can use health considerations in all sectoral policies, um, why we need cross sectoral conversations to protect human health and to pr- improve our collective living environment um, so everyone is familiar with the uh, in, with the gas the common gas hub um, uh, and it burns fossil fuel directly in your kitchen um, but most people are not aware of the health effects uh, that come from burning that gas uh, in your kitchen um, because they're invisible, right? Um, So when gas is combusted, um, the pollutants are emitted directly into your living space. um, And these pollutants include nitrous dioxide, carbon monoxide, ultrafine particles, and other other compounds uh, into your living space, which you then live with, right? When you eat your dinner afterwards, the concentrations are very high. And if you've recently insulated your house and sealed your windows, which we all need to do because of the energy shortage, you get fewer air changes, which means those concentration levels remain higher for longer, so your exposure is worse. Um, There's over 40 years of research linking respiratory health disease to indoor uh, indoor gas stove pollution, and children are the most at risk with their faster breathing rates, more physical activity, smaller lung to body ratios, and developing respiratory and immune systems. A 2013 study summarized 41 earlier studies, and they found that children living in a home with a gas stove have a 42% higher chance of having current asthma, and a 24% higher chance of increased risk of lifetime asthma. It's very significant numbers, uh, just from choosing gas in your stove over another cooking fuel. The World Health Organization, Europe, has long recognized the important role that gas appliances play in people's overall level of exposure to NO2. As health professionals, you all know that breathing air with a high concentration of NO2 irritates the airways in the human respiratory system. Short exposures aggravate respiratory disease, particularly asthma, leading to respiratory symptoms such as coughing, wheezing, or difficulty breathing, hospital admissions and emergency room visits, and longer exposures to elevated levels of NO2 can contribute to the development of asthma and potentially increase susceptibility to respiratory infections. So the Eco-Design Directive, which Stefan mentioned, um, grants authority to the European Commission and the member states to regulate products and appliances on a range of factors, And one of those factors is the emissions produced by the appliance when it's in use. Uh, Specifically, eco-design is concerned with emissions to air, and that includes fine particulate matters and other emissions from the appliance. So um, as CLASP, we are currently working on a project to quantify the social and economic health impacts associated with domestic cooking appliances, and we're going to be giving that research to the commission in November, just a couple of months, Um, to enable them to consider emissions to air and therefore consideration of indoor air quality impacts from gas cooking appliances in the eco design process for cooking appliances uh, that's ongoing at this time. Our research efforts include a literature review, a policy assessment, a simulation modeling study, laboratory testing, and a review of the testing standards, the European norms that Stefan mentioned. This work is ongoing at this time, so I can't release any results just yet, Um, but suffice to say that we are calculating societal costs to be several billion euros per year, subsidizing the use of gas in homes, um, and literally hundreds of thousands of cases of asthma for children that are triggered across Europe because of these appliances. In the coming months, we will finalize and publish this work, and I would very much like to share my findings with all of you, And I've actually brought a stack of business cards. I know this is old tech, but if I can see all of you before you leave, I'll give you a card so you can keep in touch, um, because I have an ask. So the commission will have a comment period, and it would be excellent if they were to hear from multiple health-focused organizations and experts, such as you all, um, about your views on this source of indoor air pollution in our homes the health and the financial burden it places on us, and whether you think these products, gas cooking appliances, should continue to be installed in new installations and renovations, or if they should be phased out in the interests of indoor air quality and public health. So thank you very much for your time today, and I look forward to any questions and discussion.
0: Thank you, Michael. And before we move on, I'm, uh, when, when you were speaking, I was really struck by the fact that, yes, uh, there's a lot of gas cookers in homes, but most professional kitchens, restaurants, hotels, you know, have gas because it is perceived to be, you know, um, it gives you more fine-tuned, accurate cooking, and you want that in, in, a, in a restaurant. So we've talked about the homes, but is this not also an occupational safety area? And that's an area where the EU does regulate. Uh, do you see... and Hotel and, and um, restaurant kitchens are small, they're hot, they're full of people. I, is there a particular risk that you see for exposure for workers in that environment?
4: Well, it's an excellent question. I, and I have two points to that. So um, I spent six years working as a waiter and obviously in and out of the kitchen on a regular basis. And, um, yeah, so in commercial kitchens, which is... Th- there is a separate eco-design regulation on commercial mm-hmm. cooking products. So the one I'm speaking about today is domestic cooking. Um, in commercial kitchens, which cook with gas, they have a ventilation hood um, that is running full-time, all the time, uh, sucking air and blowing it to the outside. So in, in our homes, typically when we're cooking, you have a hood often, um, but it's noisy, and, yeah. and, it, you know, it's, and it interrupts you know, your conversation with your family, or it's just unpleasant sound to, to have in the background, so people just don't switch it on. Um, and in the wintertime, you're thinking of taking that heat and blowing it out of your house, and you, you think, well, that doesn't make any sense, so I'll just leave it off for now. Um, so so that's, that's one aspect. And a second is I would say that there are many chefs now who are moving towards induction cooking, um, sev- several celebrity chefs, in fact, um, who have worked with induction cook stoves and discovered it is a much better work environment for them. Um, there, there was actually one chef in particular who wore a thermal... Um, temperature gauge uh, on his chest while he was working and he found that he was exposed to incredible, I can't remember the numbers, but very very high temperatures because he's constantly in front of the grill and he's got eight burners going at once and so on. So even though the air quality was okay, he physically he was being basically... Blasted. Cooked. Yeah, he was being cooked in the in the kitchen. Um, with induction that's not the case because the heat goes directly into the pot Rather yeah. than you know, with gas stoves, it's more than half of it is emitted around the sides.
0: Okay, yeah. thank you. And Susanna, I know you wanted to come in, and maybe this is an issue uh, for the for the human rights of people who work in that industry if they're affected by it. What would you like to add?
2: Yes, uh, very briefly, uh, Tanzing, I was uh, really shocked about uh, what you said about <laughs> and the effect to asthma. Uh, really shocked. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, This is a classic uh, example of something that uh, in these products we don't have the proper information for the consumer or whomever is buying um, the gas appliances. Where is that uh, labeling, all those warnings, so that you can make an informed uh, decision on what you are putting uh, into your home. And that is um, an EU EU level (laughs) responsibility, definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, at EU level, it mandates information on food. You know, we, risk, we label allergens if there's a risk to it. You know, when we buy uh, appliances, it tells us how energy efficient, but it doesn't make any comment about the implications for air quality. So I think, you know, we may be coming back to you, Stephen, to ask what the commission is doing to do joined up thinking between the the labelling for energy and other aspects. But I'd like to bring in uh, one other speaker on our panel, because I think you're going to be able to square the circle for us in many ways, uh, some of the issues we've been talking about. So uh, Dr. Nadia Boshi, who who can bring in the perspective of the construction industry and the building sector, some of these things we've talked about are structural. So tell us what your industry is doing and how you see the problem being addressed.
5: Thank you, Tamzin, and thank you, Christina, for inviting me to this health forum. You know, coming from the building industry is a very much needed uh, experience and um, discussion to start. i also like to mention a couple of things before I go to an answer to your question. Uh, I'm very proud that in 2000, be part as a Rapporteur, as a young scientist of the WHO Initiative to develop the human right to health indoor air. So we have a framework that uh, stays there. And I lo- also like to link to your remarks beginning at uh, the beginning of the, uh, this one table, which is about spending 90% of our time indoors. COVID has also changed a little bit the, our perception because the 90% is made of time spent in offices, housing, retail, and etc. With COVID, we all changed that mixture. And we are much more focused on housing. So the awareness around what it is indoor air quality in our you know, houses, it becomes much more relevant. And the particularity that has not been mentioned yet, uh, and the difference between indoor air and outdoor air, indoor air is really a mixture. There are very few pollutants that are regulated, but other than that is the mixture of the various pollutant situation that creates the hazardous point. So what can we do? From an industry point of view, the best approach is always remove the source, control the pathway, dilute and mitigate the risk, such as ventilation, and inform the occupants and inhabitants what can be done, which is the value of living in healthier spaces. When I speak about, when I say removal of the source, for us, means a better, a healthier selection of material. So materials that have low concentration of volatile organic compounds, we all know what it is a volatile organic compound, because probably most of us have experienced the smell of new of a new car when you enter a new car. That is volatile kind organic of compounds, Lemonine in cleaners, and etc.. So they are all irritants. But there are others that they are mutagenic, such as the plasticizers, that they are commonly found in materials yeah, used in construction. So best practices are those that they say, this is the blacklist, we don't want to use it, we shouldn't be using it. And, and that, for example, another a pollutant, the formaldehyde concentration is regulated Yet, you know, how many designer do you really, really pay attention? So that's it's important. But there are also other material choices that it is an interaction between what we do and what the expectation of the inhabitants. For example, there are much more pets living in the house. So it is recommended if there is a psychological value associated by having a pet, and that would be perhaps prefer not to have fleecy material you know try to have surfaces that they can be can better be um, better control the green deal is bringing a major opportunity to refurb our uh, aging building uh, portfolio to have more performing uh, energy um, uh, energy building however the refurbishment brings back to the question all pollutants such as lead presence because in all buildings we might have lead, and also asbestos. You know? So there are items that have been cited as pollutant. They are very much regulated. There is a very clear way they are approached and mitigated, but yet is there something that needs to be brought to the attention uh, of this ocean audience? And then the switch to avoid uh, gas, using of gas in our in our housing that is clearly the argument was clearly made but there is also you know by switching to 100% renewable as you said is a perception you know switching to induction you know it's just a matter of perception and we are seeing that that perception can be changed you know with even with restaurants um, and that really changes dramatically the profile of the pollutant inside the houses and then the control of the pathway. Radon mapping, radon is a carcinogen, can enter. It's naturally present, geologically present in, uh, in various parts of our territory, so mitigation is clear. But we need to interrupt the pathway between the off-gassing of the geological composition with the indoor, and that can be, uh, there are like you know, uh, um, solutions to that, like separating parking garage from from the entrances. That's, you know, we need to create a seal, a really a break in that transmission. And of course, as already been mentioned, you know, it would be of tremendous help to have an integrated or simple label regarding the value of, um, or the mission or the value of the product, to be able to say this is a healthy product. You know, simple, like we have done, like for energy. Everybody can understand ABC or like the APD. Very simple measure. Ventilation. So one, you know, you can mitigate removal of the source, control the pathway, and then what, what else can be done? Well, ventilation. What is good ventilation? Perhaps an engineer can answer very clearly, but other than that, there is a, quite a latitude of the interpretation of what it is mitigation uh, good ventilation so as we tighten up the building, you know there is a we, we are also sealing what it is uh, um, you know the, we are also reducing the amount of air that is coming into our buildings so a good way we do to Avoid having higher indoor uh, concentration of pollutant is to install control mechanical ventilation system. Uh, In housing, we have air air conditioning, but most of those systems do not bring in new air. Instead, mechanically controlled ventilation systems bring in new air. They filter. And also, they uh, have gouges that they do heat exchangers that to be able to recuperate the heat. So it's much more uh, control, even at the humidity level. Uh, I'm going quickly to to close. And it is like CO2 monitors as you install in your house. And as a minimum, we install windows with trickle air vents to be able to have some micro ventilation. Air clean devices is another. Is another aspect, and the last point on creating value, we deliver housing, apartment complex that bans tobacco smoke. You know that is always a challenge. You say it's better for you, so creating context where you know it's really a better quality for your health, as well as creating you know, better environment you know, around the building itself, because there is indeed a demonstrated link between the quality of outdoor air and the quality that you have inside. So that's also an, another aspect to be considered. These are the main points, perhaps, uh, with the question we can de- go deeper in, uh, as necessary. Thank
0: Thank you you very much, Nadia. You uh, you highlighted lots of different things and some really good principles. You remove it from the source, control the flow, and then look at mitigation areas. And I'm sure we'll be coming to you with lots of very practical questions. In a minute, I'm going to turn to Josephine and get uh, some questions from the Twitter and from the Q&A section. But before we do that, we wanted to ask you a question. You've heard about some of the different sources. You've heard about some of the regulatory approaches. But we wanted to ask you, you know, what, in your view, is the most effective thing that we could do at EU level to improve air quality? And we've given you an opportunity to rank sort of five or six potential actions. So let's start to see, again, slido.com, and the code is LUNA. We've given you, your choices are awareness-raising on the health impacts of poor indoor air quality... Awareness raising on the sources of the poor indoor air quality, something like perhaps labelling on gas products or others that help people understand. Regulating the sources of indoor air pollution, like fuel burning uh, appliances, cleaning products and other sources. Or perhaps you think it's strengthening the building codes and the ventilation requirements. We've heard we spent 90% of our, our, our time indoors, so maybe that's the way to go forward. Or finally, you know, should, should it be the standards approach, where we set out the criteria on particulates and chemicals and others? So we're inviting you to reflect what's the quick win, what's the best thing we could do, the most effective thing we could do at EU level. And we, we heard from Stefan, from DG Enna, that it's not always easy. Member states don't always agree that the EU level is the best way to do it. So what do you think we should be doing? And I can see that we, we've got a strong message to support, that the number one... Uh, message that you think the number one most effective thing would be regulating the sources of indoor air pollution. So, we, you know, l- making sure we have standards that control the product. So, whatever you buy, you can be certain that and, and that you use it, that it, it meets these criteria. We've also got strong support for strengthening building codes and ventilation requirements. And I might be coming to Nadia afterwards to comment on that if the building sector would welcome that. Um, and then thirdly, regulating the indoor air quality standards, so making it clear what should be the quality criteria that needs to be met for indoor air. So thank you very much, audience, and you can keep voting on that. That may change during the cost, uh, question and answer session. But let me come over now to Josephine. I know there's lots of questions on there and maybe comments on Twitter. What
6: do people want to ask our panel? Thank, thank you very much, Tamsin. And quite a lot of questions, actually, for 9 a.m. session. so... Thank you everyone. Uh, First of all, a lot of um, interest on the clean cooking solutions. I think that's really gathered uh, a lot of questions. One first is, should chefs be the ambassadors for clean cooking? Uh, But more seriously, there are questions such as, if Where gas is the norm, would financial incentives from cities help people switch to induction, for instance? Um, and this is, for example, in Brussels, where a lot of us come from. What are solutions to support this transition? But there's also the question about what can people with gas do if switching to an alternative is just not an option? So what are very concrete recommendations that we can share on this? First, uh, another question was about climate change, and what how can we expect climate change to impact indoor environments and air quality? Other um, comments and not questions are. First of all, we should increase awareness around air quality. And secondly, financially support households to switch as replacing your kitchen appliances for induction can be very pricey. So I think a lot of questions about costs. Um, Earlier on in the conversation, there was also um, comments about um, as you put in regulations uh, and policy processes to switch to uh, well to ban some harmful chemicals, how can we make sure that those chemicals for instance products are not exported elsewhere into other regions for example, if we are banning some products from Europe, how can we make sure that these are not exported for example to Africa and have some um, solidarity at least between Europe and other regions of the world so Initial comments on my side. Thank you.
0: Great. Uh, thank you, Josephine.
6: So, panel, we've got
0: lots of really interesting elements uh, to bring up. And um, any member of the panel is welcome to answer on any of them. But I, I already have in mind a couple of people who, who might want to respond. Uh, Michael, I'll come to you first because, you know, in areas that where gas is the norm, and it's, you know, it's an investment to switch to uh, induction or another cleaner fuel. But at the same time, local authorities are already heavily offering financial incentives to insulate your home and to, to look at you know heating, a more efficient, that, and in fact, gas condensing boilers are considered to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Is it realistic? Should we expect local authorities to also then have an add-on grant to help people switch from a gas cooker to something else? Where does that fit in the big picture of what public support should be to allow people to change their homes?
4: Yeah, it's an uh, excellent question. And <laughs> thank you both for that, for those, um, I, I guess. Um, I should just clarify that the eco-design directive applies to new products placed on the market. Um, So if you have an existing uh, gas stove in your home, such as the scenario we're discussing here, eco-design would not apply to you until you decided to go to market to replace that gas stove and you find, oops, uh, gas stoves are no longer available, I can only choose an electric source. Um, so, so just to be clear in terms of the scope of the Eco Design Regulation, it doesn't a- apply to people, you know, the existing infrastructure. Um, there are definitely things that can and, should in my view, should be done um, to help households switch. I mean, the, the numbers which I'm giving you um, and, and the preliminary calculations that, w- that we're coming up with for the cost to EU and the health impacts of these are astronomical. And, and frankly, yeah, I, I appreciate the question of switching to induction can be costly, but, but doesn't your health matter? Like, the health of your family and your personal health. And, and, and so it's like, it, in fact, I, I see it as a, as a priority, uh, number one, essentially, to create the cleanest possible living space uh, in your home. Um, so it's you know it would be wonderful for uh, for local authorities uh, to offer incentives, and there are certainly examples of that that I'm aware of um, that are happening across Europe and, and certainly the United States, um, where local authorities are offering subsidies to help households uh, address that cost. I mean, f- for those of you who aren't who aren't aware, um, if you have a gas line coming to the cooking space in your kitchen. Um, you know, that, that would no longer be used and you would have to run a new electrical cable uh, to that same point and then have an electric cooking source. Um, so that installation of the cable and a new breaker on your board, like this this is why the cost is high. It's not just the first cost of the appliance, but the installation can be high for some homes depending on how that, how that wire is run. Um, but I would also mention that um, there are, um, Electric sources that are not as expensive as induction, so so um, induction is the most efficient uh, way of cooking, um, but there are electric uh, hot plates uh, which are just basically resistive heating elements, um, which you all know, and they get very hot, and that heat is conducted into the pot. Those are are quite affordable, in fact, on the same uh, first cost basis with gas hubs as well. So 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 there are affordable options which are not emitting that combustion those combustion products uh, into your home okay does that answer your question yeah
0: i I, I think it does okay Uh, susanna maybe i could uh, come to you i mean you you said they were quite shocking figures the extent to which your lifetime exposure to indoor air quality particularly gas cooking increases the asthma risk and your network of organizations is offering frontline helplines are you going to go back and you know talk to them and see if the number one recommendation they're giving to everyone is, do you have a gas cooking appliance and if so, get rid of it?
2: Thank you very much. The patient helplines don't unfortunately work uh, um, like this. They are uh, to um, to help people to find help to find. Uh, professional help, for the, for example, from the commune, who can they contact, and uh, what is the legal advice around this, who is responsible if you're renting. Uh, but definitely I will have some focus on the gas. I, I want to come back to the uh, question from the, from the audience, because in those circumstances there are always things that you can do yourself, and it's true that um, this advice is given nowhere like your kids are telling to open the window when you're when you're using your cast heater open the window and it and people have in their houses depending on the design the windows where from which you can ventilate uh, placed in a different ways and you would need some uh, maybe some uh, experimenting uh, which one is the one that is then uh, closest of the appliance that is actually taking um, taking uh, what, what it is emitting uh, directly away and not spreading it across, uh, because you have the window open somewhere else in the, mm-hmm. in the flat. There are practical mm-hmm. things that you can do, uh, so that's the, that's the consolation for everybody. Um, I was very happy uh, also to hear from, uh, from the Commission uh, about your attitude and your thinking around this uh, because this is not exactly what we have been experiencing. For example, now for the Energy Performance uh, Directive, we did uh, ask MEPs to help us uh, together with the RIFA, which is a professional organisation for the, for the heating and the air conditioning uh, engineers. Um, we, um, we did some work and um, it, uh, it is uh, probably paying off. Wanted to, uh, something which has not been yet mentioned, ventilation, uh, we talk about it uh, now all the time, but we need, in terms of uh, legislation, we need a definition um, for ventilation, what it is and what we mean by it uh, when regula- regulatory space is, uh, is concerning. And it is criminal to put an uh, energy Performance uh, regulations forward without um, um, legal requirements uh, for the indoor air quality. It is criminal, and it should not be uh, happening. And I appreciate the 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 problems around uh, who is uh, responsible. Is it the European level or is it the member states? It's both, uh, but you cannot uh energy pro- performance regulations without taking into consideration ventilation, no, <laughs> no.
0: Thank you. Nadia, I, I know you wanted to comment on that, so I'll, uh, I'll invite you to comment, and then I'm coming to both Stefan and Stefan, who are both joining us online, and I'll bring them in. But Nadia, you wanted to quickly comment.
5: Yeah, on this very last point on the, uh, on the equation of saving energy or indoor air quality, it goes back to 1973, when the whole issue started, you know, and it still is there. So an integrated approach between the two. I think what is also missing is a gap, you know, between you know, we need to save energy, but how science translates into practice, you know, perhaps an integrated approach in legislation between providing energy saving and at the same time focusing on, you know, healthy indoor air, that is, uh, it, it requires support or like the identification of, about what is best to do, you know, where do we start, you know, what is science telling us to do. So at that point, yes, the construction industry, would definitely follow you know once there is value being created you know and we all know as user that it is not just about the cost of the line it's about the cost of the not doing it that mm-hmm. is what we need to be focusing on uh, i believe it is critical point what how much is going to cost not doing it what if your kids gets asthma and is not detected in the first 2 months that person is going to be asthmatic forever. We'll never be a champion runner or something. So the Delhi issue remains. The quality of life is going to be compromised. So I think uh, the cost of the cable will be totally relevant on that picture, wouldn't it?
0: Thank you. Uh, uh, Stefan from DGN, I saw you nodding as Nadia was speaking. Um, we got a very strong call from Susanna to say it, it's literally criminal to not build in indoor air quality when you're looking at energy performance, and she called for regulation. What's your perspective?
3: Um, thanks a lot, Tamsin. I think I, I very much agree with what my um, fellow panellists have, have said um, uh, we need to uh, to cover the entire range of uh of uh, um, of issues uh, so the the sources the products uh, but also um the system of the building uh and the tool for that is i would say monitoring and ventilation so that brings it together there should not be a contradiction between um energy efficiency heat recovery and ensuring um healthy air indoors um, I think what is absolutely key is information I think um, uh, it was telling what um, what um, 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 was said um, um, by by Michael on um, on the awareness lack of, lack of awareness in 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 residential homes um, uh, basically uh, that you choose not to turn on the hood because it may be a bit inconvenient maybe noisy maybe people don't uh, are simply not aware uh, about the, uh, the, the negative consequences from, from gas uh, um, uh, cooking appliances. And uh, I think um, um, it will not be possible to replace all gas appliances across the board, but the message is we have to get out of gas for heating and anything else, because gas is scarce and there, where we have alternatives, Uh, And it's expensive. Where we had alternatives, uh, basically, we should move to them. And in the building sector, the alternative is to a large degree, not only, but to a large degree, electricity. So, for heat pumps, uh, but also cooking, more efficient um, in terms of using energy. And that, uh, of course, should be the message for for any renovation going on. But we do recognize not everything can be done at the same time. So, those still using gas, um, including for cooking need to be informed about the consequences. And I think information and training for professionals is absolutely key. And uh, it is probably not sufficient just to have a general information campaign and say, if you do that, then do that, and then people forget about it. I think it's crucial to have um, monitoring devices in uh, the buildings, which hopefully get less and less expensive, more and more performing, at least to indicate, uh, maybe based on a number of parameters you cannot measure everything i suppose um, but a kind of indication um, whether the indoor air quality is good intermediate or bad and and therefore something would have to be done about it uh, basically turn up or turn on the ventilation system or where you don't have that um uh open open the window which actually is not the aim but we do also recognize that not all buildings yet uh, if they're not renovated have ventilation systems so that's simply the reality so we have to do something everywhere so i think where it comes to renovations the message from us is use the synergies um bring together the different policy objectives it doesn't cost much or hardly anything in addition to have integrated devices which control then the ventilation system where we don't have a ventilation system i think it would be an additional investment Because many people simply have what they have, they have a a gas uh, uh, cooking appliance, they have simply uh, windows and uh, some boiler, which may be gas, oil or whatever. And then they have lots of products inside and they simply don't know what's happening. And then at least to to, to, to help them find the information and, and create the awareness, if you need to do something if uh, that you need to open the window for instance which of course should not be the the future world but it's simply what needs to be done today and i think uh, the same applies to uh, the professionals involved in in the building sector technicians uh, architects uh, uh, engineers that they have indoor air quality fully on their radar screen uh, that they know where the main sources come from what are the main solutions that they can design and, and, and uh, improve a building when they come in and, and have that on the radar screen. That is absolutely crucial. Um, otherwise, uh, people remain unaware, they have certain practices, they think something is good, while it is not. And uh, I think if people are told about the negative consequences, behavior will change. We have seen that with smoking. Um, uh, smoking has been deeply entrenched in European culture, tradition, habits. And in many ways it is now socially unacceptable to smoke indoors of course there are still people who do that but normally this is no longer done people simply go out even if it's minus 10 degrees and that has uh, benefited a lot from information uh that people have mm-hmm. to some extent even sometimes dramatically uh been made aware of the consequences of that and i think uh, they should also be made aware of all the other pollutants which are there and which Can be at least mitigated um, to a large degree even today uh, when a meeting, uh, when the building is not yet renovated.
0: Okay. Thank you. Let, let me just bring in uh, Professor Stephen Loft first, because he hasn't had a chance to comment on some of the th- things. Uh, Professor Loft, can you, can you pick up on some of the things that you've heard? And obviously, you, you're a clinician; you see patients. You know, what, what, ch- what would have the most impact on their lives? Is it advice about cooking appliances, or is it that actually regulation would reduce that risk for them? And I don't know if you could also able to comment on the question we had about, you know, we we understand about the impact of climate change on exterior weather, um, extreme heat, etc. But do we already have a sense of how that might affect indoor air quality and the risks to your patients?
1: Let me uh, let me start with the last question on the climate change. Uh, Well, it it depends uh, a lot where you live. If you live sort of in the more northern part, you will probably have more humidity, much more rain, and and that will give rise to more humidity in the dwellings and and potential uh, problems from that uh, sort of I, I think the lower part of Europe more will suffer from drought and and very a lot of heat so so it will be uh, more on on the heat stress and of course also interactions between the air pollutants and uh, indoor and outdoor and the heat and the necessity for air conditioning that will be a, a big problem uh, and and definitely will particularly for airway disease patients the heat is is a, a really uh, big problem so uh, for, uh, with the, respect to the others, what I've heard, I, I, I certainly agree that awareness is really, really important uh, when we measure sort of how is the air change rate in a de- dwelling, it's uh, you can tell very, very little from the construction of the building and, and the appliances and so on, but you can tell a lot from what the uh, uh users record in a diary it's their behavior that controls in most uh dwellings at least uh, the uh the air change and to some uh, and and of course also the indoor air quality so awareness is really really uh, important and, and but but th- that said i think also when we make uh codes and and construct and and very smart uh, ventilation it's very important that they are super user friendly uh, because if you need an engineering exam to control the ventilation of your dwelling then it will not work uh, and sometimes you may be tempted to turn it down because it's expensive in the electricity or it gives some discomfort maybe the air you feel the air is dry one so you tamper with it that's really very very often that that the user will tamper with it, uh, making it much less efficient. So it has to be foolproof, uh, and and of course also, uh, and and you should not need an engineering exam to to run it. And the last, uh, Tamsin, you had one more. I forgot that.
0: Yeah, I was sort of trying to get a sense of, you know, what would impact on your clinical practice. You're there dealing with patients all the time and we have here in the in the space we've got people who are looking at regulation, product design, yeah. building design and we polled the audience, you know, what what are the most effective things that you we should do and number one was awareness but also, you know, re- uh-huh. looking at regulations, controls and standards. If you had an ask for the audience, where would you like to see the effort that would have the most impact for your patients? I,
1: I, I mean, from from what we know in, in terms of health impact assessment, I still think it's a air quality guidelines that is the most important. To of course, one thing is to adapt them, but also then to form policies that will uh, allow us to live up to to them in a, in the shortest time frame possible. Uh, that will make it much easier to ventilate. I mean, if you have clean outdoor air, then it's only uh, the heat loss that's a problem. You can you can ventilate and get in clean air uh, in your dwelling. Whereas at the current moment in many uh, European cities, it will definitely not improve your indoor air quality to open the windows because the outdoor air is even worse, uh, and you will need a filtering uh, heat recovery ventilation system to get uh, clean air in. Uh, and, and and that I, I think is a problem, okay. but of course, all the others uh, are. Uh, and and which part, whether it's the legislation on the buildings or on, on the indoor use products, I don't know. I, I don't think one should prioritize you. I think we should do it, all of that. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think we should, should set somebody aside because it matters a little less than the other.
0: Okay. Thank you, and, and, and as you said, you know, air is air, whether it's indoor or outdoor, whether it, it flows, it recognises no boundaries. Nadia, I know you wanted
5: to come in on this. Yes, I wanted to add one comment on the climate risk impact on what we do in best practices. Risk mitigation is not only on the heat waves that is clearly mm-hmm. being just uh, discussed, but urban flooding is also on the microbial mm-hmm. side, is uh, crucial, yeah. and uh, best practices is already in place to avoid that, and in some places around Europe, wildfire are a problem you know so preparedness what to do in your house when you have this uh, outdoor concentration that they are terrible so open the window is not an option even if you have a highway underneath your your house uh, so that's the integrated approach that it was uh, you know underlined as a, an opportunity so preparedness and awareness of the consequences is the better way to mitigate as well
2: thank you Susanna you wanted to come in Yes, I wanted to comment on something uh, that we didn't mention yet. Um, Indoor equality is also about uh, power. Um, And uh, people who are poor um, Mm -hmm. live in bad housing and uh, don't have the power to do anything about it um, or otherwise uh, socially marginalized so they have uh, <clears throat> they have indeed <laughs> can develop childhood asthma for their kids and um everything is uh, accumulating so um uh, the ownership of the um, residential uh, building stock that's a, that's a big uh, big issue and as we have seen now in the um, energy performance um support that is happening um it's also Creating sometimes um, inequalities because uh, many occupants have uh, no power whatsoever to towards the yeah. owner um, to, <laughs> to to ask, ask for this kind of uh, <coughs> renovations. There is a one, um, and that's why we we really need uh, legislative uh, legislative action on uh, on indoor quality too. And uh, since we are putting forward the energy performance. That is the opportunity, and it's a very strong link. We are advocating for a mandatory indoor quality certificate. Um, mm-hmm. We have seen, for example, in my home, in, in Brussels, the new owner, they have to send somebody to check the energy performance, which in Brussels usually is that the air is flowing through the, <laughs> through the ceiling and the, and the walls, and that's not ventilation, that's, uh, that's draft. Wouldn't it be great that at the same time they have to do um, indoor quality um, uh, check? Because that leads to consumer information. I wanted to mention one very positive example in uh, um, Ireland, they had this uh, warmth and uh, well-being uh, pilot scheme, which was uh, facilitating um, energy upgrades in uh, residential buildings, um, and those were based on health referrals and with no cost uh, to homeowners. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, best practices uh, could be looked at um, also great. in the area of uh, indoor air quality. And there, um, EU, as usual, can uh, can really be a great uh, interlocutor.
0: Thank you. I mean, we're coming towards the end of our time. In fact, we've got two minutes left on this panel. And I'd like Nadia to perhaps just comment on what you've heard. And Mike, I'm coming to you to pick up on something that We haven't addressed which is all of the stuff we're going to rip out of our homes because it's not good for our air quality. Where's it going to go? We're going to have the same problem that we have where our polluting cars that are no longer allowed in our city centres in Europe all turn up in Africa. So, you know, let's look at a life cycle approach. But, Nadia, do you just want to pick up on this this message that from Susanna said, yes, from a regulatory perspective, everyone's got to have an energy efficiency certificate for their home. What if we required an air quality
5: link to that? Uh, I think it is an opportunity, but it is critical that the certificate is not just a picture at the end of the construction, but is something that you periodical measure, especially in public housing, where you know that is the you know the um, the most social disadvantaged you know population. You know to be able as a tool to inform how to improve the situation. Not just one shot, but something periodical with the scope of improving the way of um, living condition, the lifestyle. Thank you. Michael, we're going to close our panel
0: with you with that tough question. How do we make sure that Europe is a beacon, a standard setter, but we're not exporting our polluting problems?
4: That's a huge question. Um, Yeah,
0: and in one minute, please, (laughs) if you could.
4: In one minute. All I can say is that um, I, I know UK refrigerators had been exported to Ghana for years and years. Like a used fridge would be taken out of a UK home, put in a container and shipped to Accra and sold. And Ghana has now passed a law that bans the sale of used refrigerators uh, in their market. So, so they've taken action because they don't want this dumping of old appliances there. But it is a trade that happens. It happens with cars. It even happens with airplanes. Like, it, you know, equipment that is no longer used in the West is passed on to poorer countries, so they have a start of infrastructure. I think in in the African region, there is an opportunity where they're using solid fuels at the moment to leapfrog over gas, to leapfrog over LPG, and to move directly to solar-based electric cooking solutions, including, for example, uh, electric pressure cookers. That's something that my organization is working on um, as part of the Sustainable Energy for All initiative, um, where you can actually deliver good quality, healthy cooking uh, solutions into the homes. Um, and not have to go through the trend, you know, the, the migration that we did through gas and now moving on to electric. The leapfrog opportunity is, is great. But I, I think stopping that trade is, 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 a, is a challenge and it's something that, yeah, policymakers um, should look into. But really, the responsibility would have to reside on the countries where they're being imported, like Ghana, saying, no, we're not going to accept these.
0: Thank you. And and just as as I close the panel, let's perhaps look back at the poll where we asked people, what's the most effective thing you could do at EU level to improve air quality? And and in the beginning, the number one was looking at awareness. Can we see the results of that poll again, please? Yeah. OK, so regulation has come out quite strongly. Look at that. Regulating sources of indoor air pollution is the number one thing that our audience thinks we should work in. Strengthening building codes and ventilation requirements. Nadia, you made the strong case that we need you know, clarity on it so that industry can s- respond and set up. And then regulating the quality standards for indoor airs coming through from our audience as saying these are the most effective things that they'd like to see the EU do. And could we then put up on screen the word cloud that we started our conversation with? Um, and we asked people, you know, about indoor air quality, what did they think about it? What were the factors that addressed it? So let's see our word cloud. And there again, we touched on many of those different things. So this is what people thought. Affect indoor air quality, and we asked people what to do, and regulation um, came through very clearly. So, can I say a warm thank you to the members of our, of our panel? So, here with me, I have Susanna, I have Nadia, I have Michael, and I had Stefan and Steffen who were online and joining us. Thank you very much. So, can we say thank you to our panel? And now I would like to hand the floor to the organisation that uh, convened today's conversation, the European Public Health Alliance, Um, and Milka, the Secretary-General, is going to wrap up for us. Did we meet your expectations, Milka, on our conversations? Oh, boy. (laughs)
7: Like, I never expected it to turn into such a complex, intricate discussion. There are so many angles that we need to address this issue from. But first of all, thank you, Tamzin, for your, your kind introduction, uh, introduction and for the ever amazing moderation of, of the session. Thank you to the panelists for a very fruitful, inspiring discussion. And thank you all uh, in the room and online for joining us today to untangle the topic that affects us all. Um, I would like to pick up on a few um, themes that stood Uh, out to me. First, we started us off noting that the indoor pollution, air pollution, affects us all, um, and that the sources of indoor air pollution are virtually everywhere, in our homes, in our working places, in our our public spaces. The health burden of indoor air pollution is not only exemplified in facts and figures that we have heard, but also in human suffering. Um, So, The takeaway is that both the awareness raising and action um, are needed to improve our built environments. Now, the second point is, while we are all affected, some of us are affected more. Um, The vulnerable population groups suffer disproportionately from the risks um, uh, from environmental determinants of health in general. Um, And this health inequalities aspect is of particular importance for us in IFA. We have mentioned that lower income groups um, uh, or populations are likely to live in smaller housing, are likely to use less efficient um, energy um, sources, um, are likely to use more polluting technologies in their cooking, for instance, um, and in their heating. But inequalities... Uh, among the member states um, are also glaring. And the WHO data tell us that the same trend we have seen for ambient air quality uh, remains true for the indoor air quality, and that there are more deaths attributable um, to indoor air pollution as we progress to the east, so to Eastern and and Central Europe. So this underlines, again, the need for a common, coherent European uh, approach. Now our speakers have suggested um, quite some promi- uh, promising areas of action, some best practices, and some policy recommendations. So let's just recall that the WHO uh, published an update on its indoor uh, on its air quality guidelines, which is the gold standard for air quality, just a bit over a year ago, and they apply it both on indoor and outdoor air quality in the EU the legislation for ambient air quality exists. It is currently being re- revised, um, and we really hope that uh, it will be in a full alignment with the scientific evidence. However, the similar framework for indoor air quality does not exist, and it is also very clear from this discussion uh, that, that it is very much needed, and that is why we are having this discussion today in, in Gastein. Now, What what I'm also picking up from the discussion, we may even want to question whether we need the distinction or separation between the indoor and outdoor air quality, but maybe it's easier to tackle the indoor air quality as a a separate issue. Another common theme um, that resonates with the learnings from other sessions is the question of data, and it's very good to hear and, and learn that there is a lot of progress uh, on that, in that area. Um, and then these data need to be translated into, into policy. Uh, they need to inform the decision-making process, and we in IFA advocate for health implications to be meaningfully uh, integrated in, in regulations. And for that, we need specific uh, targeted interventions, like clean cooking. So just so you know, in the following months, IFA Uh, Will be shining a light on the health dangers of gas cooking, um, mobilizing the the health community, disseminating information to the public, and starting a conversation with the decision makers. And we hope that today's session is actually a useful first step towards all these directions. And finally, there is this link between climate change and uh, and the indoor air quality, both in terms of how climate affects the indoor air quality, and we have mentioned floods, we have have mentioned heat waves, and in terms of the effect of indoor air quality on climate, and we have mentioned um, burning of fossil fuels. Uh, For me, the key takeaway from this session is that we must reimagine our built environments so that they answer our needs and that protect our health, uh, we must feel safe and actually be safe in our homes, in our work um, places, and in public spaces. And to close it all, I see I have 52 seconds left. Um, we are really delighted to have had the opportunity to convene this session today uh, and to advance this conversation on indoor air quality. This topic has become ever more prominent during the COVID crisis, but it is actually a systemic issue that requires targeted policies uh, and actions. So, thank you once again for joining us. Um, I wish you to enjoy the rest of the conference, and for those of you that are here, have safe travels back home. Thank you.